mentioned that we would have some guest speakers, and I'm really excited because we have the Mennonite World Conference happening this week actually in the Valley. So we have people from all over the world who work with our church to serve some of the needs in the world, to support the church around the world. And a couple of them have come this morning to share with us, and we're so thankful for that. I don't have a big bio for M, but M is actually part of the young adult part of the World Conference. She's a representative for Asia. She herself is from South Korea, from Seoul. And she said that the weather there is similar, so it's equally a little bit cold and miserable there. So it's not too much of a change coming here. And she'll be sharing a testimony. We're thankful for that. And then Paul, I do have a bio for Paul Stuckey is the third of four children of Gerald and Mary Hope Stuckey, who served as Mennonite missionaries in Columbia, South America, where he was born, grew up, and still lives right now. He's married to Carol Baylor, daughter of Mennonite missionaries to Argentina and Uruguay. They have two adult sons, Elias and Lucas. Paul is a member of the Tosaquilo, or more or less, uh, Mennonite church in Bogota, the capital of Colombia, a city of 8 million people where he collaborates in various ways. Prior to retirement, Paul worked with the Colombian Mennonite Church Ministry for Justice and Peace and with the Joint Mennonite Ministry for Trauma Healing for Victims of the Decades-Long Armed Conflict in Colombia. He has witnessed the way churches can be salt and light in society and currently serves in a volunteer role as a regional representative for Mennonite World Conference in the Andean countries of Venezuela, Colombia, Ecuador, and Peru. All that being said, now that we know a little bit, uh, I'd love to invite Em up to share a bit of her testimony. Oh, and kids, you guys are welcome to head to your program. Good morning. <laughs> My name is from South Korea. So you can call me Ip. This is my second visit to Canada in 2014. I spent a year in Calgary as an international volunteer exchange program. I bet through MCC. It's been about 10 years. I've been working with something called the Young Anabaptist, or YAPS, beginning this year. It's a gathering of young Anabaptists from around the world. The YAPS committee consists uh, of one delegate from each continent and a mentor. And I'm the delegate from Asia. Yesterday, I spoke about hope in Canada at the renewal meetings. It was about conscientious objectors in South Korea. Today, I'm going to tell you a little bit about how the Mennonite churches, uh, South Korea, MCSK, the gathering came to be, and what it looks like, and how I got there. There are four churches in, in Korea, and there are 36 Mennonite members. That's right, 36, not 3,600, but 36 members. If you count the entire congregation of the four churches, that's still only about 60 people. 
Mennonite Church South Korea, MCSK, was established in 2016. So when friends ask me what denomination I belong to, I feel a little uncomfortable because South Korea is most Presbyterian, Baptist, and Methodist. When I say Mennonites or Anabaptists, they look at me with suspension. Suspicion, suspicions. It's yeah. It's often because that was the first time they have ever heard about that word, like Mennonite. How did these four churches, consisting of 36 members, come together? A group of people who were angry or tired of the ultra conservative and mega churches driving Korean brand of Christianity thought to create a church and a community that contrasted with it. Along the way, they discovered the Mennonites and their value of discipleships, peace, and community. Mennonites in Korea are politically progressive and put a lot of emphasis on action. So how did I end up attending a Mennonite churches? It's because of my father, who is now a pastor of my church, Peace and Joy Mennonite Church. He has run a Christian publishing house for more than 20 years. His publisher has about 10 title, 100 titles in the Anabaptist Mennonite tradition. Korean Mennonites love to study. We learn about Mennonite and Anabaptist life and history through books how they have lived and worshipped. We share our thoughts with each other and we debate constantly about how we should live and worship. So one could say that you need to have a certain educational and cultural background to be able to experience Mennoniteness in Korea. And this sort of elitism is a limitation that we have now. Our church has 18 people in attendance, and seven of us are members. All members participate in weekly meetings. We talk about how we are going to spend our money, how we are going to conduct worship, and what's going on in our church and in the neighborhood around us. The leading of worship and common prayer are voluntarily week. And members take turns preparing for the leading, the time of sharing the word. We read the scripture together, and we try to discern communally by giving everyone a chance to speak at least once. Then we have a time of prayer for the prayer request or various issues that surround us. MCSK holds an annual conference where all the members in Korea gathering together. The church congregation who are non-members in the four churches are also welcome. Only the members can vote in the general meeting, but the conference served as a big celebration as well as a meeting. We are so excited to see each other. It's like a family. The readership of the national church rotates amongst the member churches. It's a challenge for the Korean Mennonites to grow up 
peaceful and participated culture in a Korean church context, which tends to be extremely authoritarian and collectivist. The Korean Protestant church has also historical, historically been very close to conscription or, and the military in general. In the midst of such a challenge, we are so happy to have each other. We are each other's college and hope. It's like family, and we feel the fullness of being one family in God as a Mennonite. Thank you for listening Korean story, and I will invite Paul from Colombia. morning. Thank you for the invitation to be here with you. Uh, I, I'm bringing a little bag up here, and you may be wondering why. I want to ask Pastor Michael if you would come up here. This, uh, this bag here says Indonesia. And this is because uh, last July, we had a gathering of Many, many uh, people of Mennonite, Mennonite brethren, brethren in Christ, people from different Anabaptist traditions gathered together in Indonesia to, to meet together, to worship God together, to learn from each other. And this, this is a special bag that was made, actually, by, by the women there, and it's, it's a batik, which is a, a, an art form which is very... Uh, well-developed in Indonesia. And so we want to give it to you. And symbolically, I give it to all of you. I wish I could give you one to all of you, but this is our way of passing on the good word of, of, of uh, communion of Mennonites from all over the world. And thank you for letting us be a part of it here. Thank you. Thank you for coming. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, I'm really glad to be here today, uh, and it's been a real pleasure to be with Gunip in in in, uh, in this time. I bring you greetings from my home congregation in Bogota, the capital of Colombia, um, and and I want to say that. Uh, just to give you a location, if you don't have it clearly in mind, Colombia is is on the northern part, northwestern part of South America. Um, so if you draw sort of a diagonal line down from Vancouver, from from Mission, sort of draw it a, a bit angling, sort of southeast, you'll you'll hit Colombia. And and I want to express a, a special word of gratitude to you and through you to the Canadian Mennonite churches um, for something very specific. For, for many years, Columbia has suffered from a lot of internal warfare. It probably doesn't get into your news media very often, but it, it's led to the forced displacement of almost 8 million people who've had to leave their homes 
like, like perhaps the ancestors of some of you had to leave, leave their homes maybe 100 or 120 years ago. So, so what happened was that they had to leave their homes, but they weren't safe. And so Mennonite churches in Canada opened, their, opened their, their homes and their lives and welcomed many people from Colombia. And many, quite a number of those people initially came through our congregation. And so I want to thank the Mennonite churches of Canada for, for that welcome that, that they gave many of our people. And, and I also want to bring to you a greeting from one and a half million baptized members of Mennonite and Anabaptist churches from around the world that are a part of Mennonite World Conference. Mennonite World Conference is, if you would imagine this room filled with one and a half million people and 10,000 congregations in 59 countries, you'd get an idea of what Mennonite World Conference is about. And you are a part of Mennonite World Conference, too, and, and so I want to thank you for, for that. And I bring you greetings from Cesar Garcia, who is the Secretary General, and Hank Stenvers from Holland, who is the president of Mennonite World Conference. Now, Mennonite World Conference exists. It's to be a communion of, of, of believers and followers of Jesus Christ who meet for fellowship, for worship, for service, and for witness. And it brings together people like I was illustrating from all, all sorts of different cultures, different languages, uh, different ethnicities, different colors of skin, different ways of worshiping, and we all come together. And one of the things that, one of the many ways that brings us together is that every January, around January 21st, we invite, we invite uh, the churches all over to remember in a special way this worldwide fellowship because taking as a starting point uh, an event in 1525 when the first Anabaptists taking seriously their understanding of scripture, of the Bible, they baptized each other as adults. And that was the beginning of this movement called Anabaptism. And so every year we, we try to make that a special date of remembrance. And we encourage churches all over to, to, uh, to remember that. And each year, uh, sisters and brothers from different parts of the world prepare materials that can be used in teaching in the churches about what it means to follow Jesus Christ. And the, the theme for this year is Jesus Christ, our hope. And so I'd like to talk about that using some of the, the, the message that has come from our African brothers and sisters. Jesus Christ, our hope. And I want to talk, say that if Jesus Christ is our hope, then Jesus is our way. And when I say that, if Jesus Christ is our hope, Jesus Christ is our way, I want to bring to mind what I saw on your webpage as the motto of, of Cedar Valley Mennonite Church, where it says, following Jesus. It says there, following Jesus, and it says, following Jesus, 
loving people and inviting others to do the same. And as I talk today, I also want you to keep in mind the theme, and I want to thank you for your teaching, uh, Michael. Uh, last week it was running to life from death. And, well, that's been a series of, of talks about that topic. And, and in your closing prayer, you prayed that we can trust in Christ's way, which is the way of life. And I think that, that gathers together the idea of Jesus Christ, our hope, in a very special way. So the African brothers and sisters have given us a number of texts to look at. One is from Isaiah. And I'm going to read it from Isaiah. If you have your Bible on your cell phone or in paper, you could follow along with me. You know, they used to say that you open your Bible, but nowadays you don't open your Bible, you turn on your Bible in your cell phone. But it's... it's, it's it... <laughs> so Isaiah 40, 28 to 31. Is that up? No, it's not up there. I'm going to read it. Do you not know... Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He will not grow tired or weary, and his understanding no one can fathom. God gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. Even young people grow tired and weary and young men and young women stumble and fall. But those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on the wings, on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not faint. That's a text from Isaiah. And this is what our African brothers and sisters tell us about this text. They say that to have hope is to have faith to continue trusting in God, even if things do not turn out the way we want it to. In our context of insecurity, which was made perhaps most evident here recently in the COVID-19 pandemic, things, things don't go the way we had thought they were going to go. And there are so many evil things happening around us Hope then becomes like a breath of life. Now at different times, the sons and daughters of Israel, they went through disappointments and moments of crisis. They felt that perhaps in the eyes of God, they weren't important. And there are times when we may have the same feeling, uh, as if we are not being taken into account by God particularly when we are going through times of uncertainty. And God and Jesus Christ knows our fears and concerns. Despite the uncertainty, God speaks to us with words of encouragement. And more than that, God calls us also to be a voice of hope for other people. God says in Jeremiah 29, 11, For surely I know the plans that I have for you. 
plans for your welfare and not for your harm, says the Lord, to give you a future of hope. Surely I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. Plans for your welfare, not for your harm, to give you a future of hope. So God wants to give us hope when we think that nothing is going well. We think that nothing is going well in our family life or with our health or in our work or in our relationships. God asks us to look not at the problem but look at God and not tire or give up. And when we gather for worship like today and we sing, we are reminded that God has been faithful in our lives in the past and that as Romans 8.28 says, all things work together for good for those who love God who are called according to his mercy. A second text is from Luke 18. It tells the following story, which you are probably familiar with. It says in Luke 18, 35 to 43, it says that Jesus approached Jericho. And as he approached Jericho, a blind man was sitting by the roadside begging. And when he heard the crowd going by, he asked what was happening. And they told him, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. So he called out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Those who led the way rebuked him and told him to be quiet. But he shouted all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. So Jesus stopped and asked that the man be brought to him. And when he came near, Jesus asked him, what do you want me to do for you? Lord, I want to see, he replied. And Jesus said, receive your sight. Your faith has healed you. Immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus, praising God. And when all the people saw it, they praised God too. Now from this text, our African brothers tell us this. Jesus is the hope for those who are excluded, those who are marginalized, those who are feeling fragile and vulnerable. Jesus is the one who can hear the voice of the voiceless, of those who, are, who can't speak out. And we are called to be like Jesus, to open our ears, to open our eyes, to hear and see the people that are left on the side of the road and give them hope. So this blind man put his hope, his faith in Jesus without, it, without having seen him. He hadn't seen Jesus because he was blind. And the text tells that the day of grace came for the blind man. He hears the noise of a crowd. He asks and he learns that it is Jesus of Nazareth passing by. And he says to himself, my hope is fulfilled. 
So he begins to shout, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And the people try to silence him. But he only shouts all the louder, son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus, the hope of the hopeless. Jesus, our hope when we are losing hope. Pays attention. And he asks him a most beautiful question. He says, what do you want from me? Or as this version says, what do you want me to do for you? And maybe we would like to say to Jesus today, Jesus, I would like you to hear you ask that question to me all the days of my life. Because you are my hope. You really are my hope. Now, undoubtedly, this blind man was, was left sort of aside on the side of the road because of some sort of a, a physical condition of blindness. And some of us, too, may have physical afflictions. And I know that as one gets older, one's body wears away. Things don't work the same way they used to. And we begin to have physical problems. Jesus is our hope. But for others, for others of us, it may not be a physical affliction we have, but maybe it's some kind of affliction that the eye cannot see. Maybe the sadness that we carry for a loss that we've suffered, or because we've been mistreated, or we've suffered abandonment at some time in our lives, or we have to live alone and lonely. Or perhaps it's that we've done something wrong that doesn't give us peace. Or perhaps there are people who are trying to silence us when they want to speak our needs. And our African brothers invite us to cry out to Jesus saying, Son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus will lead us on the path to healing of our physical and spiritual afflictions in the best way because God has the best plan for our lives. And when, when we turn to Jesus, we can also then reply, Lord, what do you want me to do? I have one more text. It's from 1 Peter. I'm going to read 1 Peter 3, 1, 3 to 7, 13 to 16, 18 to 19, and 22 to 23. It begins like this. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. By his great mercy, he has given us a new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead resurrected him to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you and for me. We are being protected by the power of God through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, even if now for a little while you have had 
to suffer various trials. So that the genuineness of your faith, being more precious than gold, that though perishable is tested by fire, your faith may be found to result in praise and glory and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Therefore, prepare your minds for action. Discipline yourselves. Set all your hope on the grace that Jesus Christ will bring you when he is revealed. Like obedient children, do not be conformed to the desires that you formerly had in ignorance. Instead, as he who has called you is holy, be holy yourselves in all, you, all your conduct. For it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. You know that you were ransomed from the feudal conduct inherited from your ancestors, not with perishable things like silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without defect or blemish. Now that you have purified your souls by your obedience to the truth, so that you have genuine mutual affection, love one another deeply from the heart. You have been born anew, not of perishable, but of imperishable seed, through the living and enduring word of God. This text speaks to us of a living hope through Jesus Christ. It begins by reminding us that through the resurrection of Jesus, we have an inheritance that awaits us in heaven. And that is a promise that perhaps for those of us who are older and whose bodies begin to wear away and death is near, that hope is probably particularly meaningful. Jesus said in John 14 that he was going to prepare a place for us. But then the text speaks of how we are to live today in discipline, in holiness, and loving deeply from the heart. Loving deeply from the heart. Living in the way of Jesus is an act of hope. It is an act of hope to persist in nonviolence when our governments tell us that the way to peace is through weapons and war to destroy the enemy. It is an act of hope to forgive when we have been offended. It is an act of hope to share our goods with others, as I understand you do as Cedar Valley Church. And when we share, we are trusting that if we are generous, we will still have enough as well. It is an act of hope to do what is right, even if we see no immediate benefit. It is an act of hope to talk and listen to each other when we have different opinions or when we have different ways of understanding the biblical text about how we are to follow Jesus trusting that the Spirit will lead us to all truth. It is an act of hope to live in the way of Jesus, trusting that he, what he taught was true, that what, the life he lived was the way of life, when all around us are trusting 
in their money or their power. Or in the easy way, as Pastor Michael was talking about last week. Every day in big or little ways, we have the choice of choosing an easy way, which isn't right, or choosing the way of Jesus, the way to life. Now, we tend to think of hope in personal terms. Hope for me, hope for my family, hope for our dreams. But at the same time, as I considered these messages from our African brothers, and as I considered what life is like in Colombia, where I am from, and where I live, I wondered what our African brothers would tell us about how to maintain our hope in the face of the larger situations and the larger problems in society, difficult economic, social, political situations, prices that keep going up, an environment that keeps being destroyed. So if, if, if the question is, where do I find hope, not just in my personal situation, but what would be a message of hope for my whole country? What would be a message of hope for you, for, the, for your Canadian country, and for the world? My first thought was that Africans know well what it's like to live in difficult situations. They lived through centuries of colonization by European countries. And even today, they are still being taken advantage of by large corporations that go in like to take their minerals and take out much more than they put in. Today there are armed conflicts, internal wars in Congo, in Mali, in Ethiopia, in Sudan, among others. In different countries there are rulers who hold on to power for years and years. For example, in Uganda, in Zimbabwe, where two of the pastors that wrote uh, some of the texts about Jesus Christ, our hope, the government recently passed a law that limited the right to strike for health workers. And not to mention all the corruption that takes place in high places that steals money. I don't know if that happens in Canada, but I know it happens in Africa, and I know it happens in my country. So when our African brothers speak to us about Jesus Christ, our hope, they affirm it from contexts probably that are more complicated and more difficult than ours. So I ask myself, and I would like to ask my African brothers and sisters, and you, how does Jesus show us a path of hope in our world where violence does not cease, corruption does not cease, where people go hungry, where young people are lost in drugs and other kinds of addictions, and where greed and individualism prevail. So I don't know what they would answer, but here are some perspectives that I would like to offer to that question. John 5.17 tells us that when the authorities confronted Jesus for healing when it was forbidden, Jesus responded, My Father has always worked, and I also work. The Jesus way is to persist in working for a better world, 
even when it is forbidden, and even when the odds seem against us. Ephesians 3, 10 to 11 says that God's intent was that now through the church the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms according to his eternal purpose that he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. Our calling as a church is to give witness to the rulers of God's purpose in Jesus Christ. Or as Jesus put it in Matthew 5, 13 and 14, we are to be the light of the world and the salt of the earth. As an act of hope at a large scale, about a month ago, the Colombian Mennonite church pastors and leaders gathered together for a day-long meeting to consider how the church could contribute to a just and lasting peace in Colombia. And Mennonite World Conference, which understands itself as a global church body, has established commissions to support the work of national and local churches. For example, the Faith and Life Commission supports processes of study, on how we as local churches can understand and live out our faith in this world. The Deacons Commission responds in times of disaster. The Peace Commission works to support and encourage work for peace. And the Missions Commission encourages works of mission and service. By the, by the local church congregations. And it has now established a working group to work to, for the, to support churches in working to counteract the, the destruction of nature and how climate is being affected. And Kunyip was talking about the young Anabaptists this is a network of Mennonite World Conference that works with young people and supports and encourages young people from all over the world to meet together and to share together how to follow Jesus Christ. And every two months, we're all invited to an hour of prayer and we gather together over the internet, over Zoom, with people from all over the world to pray together for each other and for the needs of the world. These are some of the initiatives that as Mennonite World Conference, we can all participate in. And I hope that you will. So I thank you for inviting us. I thank you for your support for Mennonite World Conference. That, too, is an act of hope and an act of faith. Jesus is our hope, and Jesus is our way. God bless you as a church.